Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. And welcome to another edition of Protecting America. I'm Rita Cosby. Well, the story keeps changing as now reports are that the bag of cocaine found in the West Wing of the White House was actually located near the Situation Room. Yikes. And this comes as a Biden administration spokesman declined to rule out anyone, including the first son, Hunter Biden, as the source of the illegal drug. Well, joining us now to discuss this and the Hunter Biden investigation is someone who has spent quite a bit of time at the White House. He was special assistant to then President Donald J. Trump. He's also a former candidate for governor of New York, Andrew Giuliani. Great to have you here. Rita, thank you so much for having me on. And I got to tell you, you are absolutely right. When you talk about proximity to the situation room, that this might be, if it is in fact in the cubbies, as they say it is, right by the West executive entrance, you are talking about four or five steps, basically, from those cubbies to the entrance of the situation room. So it literally is right there. And, uh, you know, when they were talking originally about the library, that's on the opposite side. That's on the east wing side of the main residence. You're talking about only probably about 25 steps to get to the Oval Office from where those cubbies are. You have to go up a level. Um, But uh, it really is, it kind of baffles the mind that we are talking about this. It's unbelievable, Rita. It is incredible. Let me ask you, Andrew Giuliani, don't you think with all the surveillance footage that's available, you know, it's obviously heavily surveilled, the White House, don't you think they'd be able to solve it by now? Yes, absolutely. There's no way that if the White House, if, if Secret Service, I'm sure that Secret Service knows, I'm sure they know this. Now they're basically just dealing with how they're going to tell the world, if they're going to tell the world, or if somebody is going to take the fall for this. But you're absolutely right. In terms of the surveillance on all this, they absolutely have. That's one of the most surveilled areas in the United States of America, in the world. So they absolutely know whose this is by this point. Uh, And, uh, you know, the fact that they are not allowed to be honest with the American people, I think, is just another complete indictment on the Biden administration. And I think it's an unbelievable uh, juxtaposition between the Trump administration and the Biden administration. You know, Rita, another thing that they talked about today, I think one of the deputy press secretaries in the White House, Bates, when asked about the cocaine, um, he had invoked the Hatch Act. Now, I'm very clear because we went over the Hatch Act when I was in the White House And it basically is to protect government employees, to protect, I should say, the American people from government employees doing political activities on taxpayer dime. But just a little overview about this, the Hatch Act really limits certain political activities of federal employees, as well as some state, D.C., and local government employees who work in connection with these federally funded programs. Explain to me, Rita, how on earth is cocaine and trying to figure out where cocaine got in the White House, not in the Biden campaign headquarters, but in the White House, the People's House, protected by the Hatch Act when it's being answered by a deputy press secretary of the United States. 
Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, so why would they be trying to create this Hatch Act excuse? I think maybe they think that the media will just hold, you know, that maybe they think the weekend is coming up and uh, maybe that a new story will you know, come in next week. I don't really know what they're thinking, Reed. It's a, it's a really good question. I don't know why they would come up with this, um, but it seems like a pretty lame excuse and the American people deserve an answer. Uh, to this, that's, that's far better than uh, than a farcical one like the Hatch Act. What do you make, Andrew, of the fact that the story keeps changing? You know, first it was uh, the library, then it was to here, now it's moved to this, now it's, as it turns out, right near, you know, the Situation Room, as you aptly described, just a few feet away and near the Oval Office. Um, you know where the cocaine was found. Why do you think the story just keeps changing? That makes it suspicious, too. It does. I think it's distractions, right? I think they probably have tracked it. They probably know where it is. Maybe it was in multiple locations, potentially. Um, but the fact that we can't get a, a clear answer on this when it's, you know, I, I'm 99.9% sure the Secret Service knows exactly at this point who brought it in, who brought it onto the premises, where it was. They've been able to track it down. Like you said, they have surveillance not just in the White House, but all on West Executive. I can tell you that one of the things that we were taught right in the very beginning of the administration was even when you walk out of the doors of the White House, even when you walk out of the gates of the White House, expect to be surveilled. Now, they were talking about being surveilled uh, by foreign, by, you know, the, the Russias, the Chinas, the, you know, our, our foreign enemies, spies, if you will. Um, but there is no way that the Secret Service does not have a clear idea of everywhere in the premises around the White House, certainly in the gates of the White House, and 100 percent certainly in the doors of the West Wing. How rare is it um, that something like this would be discovered at the White House? What I think is so scary is what if it was something else other than cocaine? I mean, it's illegal substance, but you think about at first they actually evacuated part of the White House. They brought a hazmat team because they didn't know if the white powder was something else. Think about actually somebody who worked in, in my office for a few weeks. Uh, this is when I when I first started in the White House and, and was an associate director before I became a special assistant to the president. Um, but the gentleman was actually, he served our country. I think he did three different tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan. And he had PTSD from that. Uh, and instead of taking prescription drugs as he was prescribed, um, he ended up uh, deciding to smoke marijuana. And he had gotten himself down to the point where the year prior, so in 2016, he had used four different times, only four times in that year. And he was honest on his uh, on his uh, government document, going through his background checks and saying that he had did this. Uh, and sadly, as soon as that document was reviewed and he submitted that, they walked him out of the White House and fired him. And I thought in that moment, you know, whatever I think about marijuana as a drug, as a recreational drug, which I certainly have my issues with, when I think about that, this was a person who served our country, who did three tours of duty for us, for our freedoms, who decided and looked at these prescription pills and saw that he had brothers and friends who were being killed by overdoses. And he had said, I am going to 
figure out this solution on my own and do this. And this person was walked out of the White House for using marijuana four times the year before, not even when he was on the job, not in the White House. It gives you an idea of how serious actually having cocaine in the West Wing of the White House. If this is any staffer in any administration, they are walked out immediately. And uh, it's that's why I'm so baffled by all this. Do you think we'll ever get to the bottom of it? I think they I think they have gotten to the bottom of whether or not we'll know the truth, Rita. Probably not. Sadly, I think I think when you look at just how protected this first family has been from their obvious crimes, um, I think, sadly, the answer is we probably won't get a very clear answer on this. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary now, when she was been asked, she's been asked a whole bunch of questions. um, And her first response was, well, the first family was not at the, you know, at the White House at the time. That's not the question. The question is who left the bag? You know, it did, you know, but they keep saying, well, they weren't there when it was discovered. Um, It's very interesting to hear the parsing of words. Absolutely is. And, uh, you know, it seems a little bit like she may have known in her answer, you know, what people were thinking. And obviously we know that that Hunter has been addicted for a very long time. He's written about this. Uh, We know what what his addiction may have meant for national security. When you consider the information uh, that he was provided by his father as vice president, uh, that I believe, and certainly many Americans believe, he traded off of to profit and enrich his family. Um, so I'm sure that that was in the back of their mind. I'm sure that's on the back of everybody's mind on the Biden team. What, what's in, what would be interesting to me is how many people in the Biden administration know. I, I'd be sure the chief of staff probably at this point is aware of this. Um, I'm sure that Jill Biden is. I just wonder if maybe for the press team, they're maybe keeping them out of the loop on this for plausible deniability potentially. So that to me is interesting in thinking about all of this is how few people probably know. My guess is it's a very, very small collection of people who actually know whose cocaine this was. Um, but then also to see the mainstream media basically turn this around on conservatives and say that conservatives are using this as political fodder. No, we're just trying to get to the bottom of why on earth there is an illegal drug like cocaine in the West Wing of the White House. As we talked about, Rita, just a few short steps away from the Situation Room. That right there, ladies and gentlemen, is a matter of national security. Absolutely. And if it was in the Trump White House, can you imagine how the press would handle it, Andrew? You know, I, the media, no pun intended, would be extremely hyped up if it was in the Trump White House. They would not be able to control themselves. Uh, It would be nonstop, day in and day out. Um, You know, they they, they always love to really focus on the palace intrigue in the Trump White House. And, And I remember, you know, so many times seeing people who were, you know, on national news the, the night before or even during meetings. And and uh, and to me, they they tried to really show that there was this kind of dysfunction in the Trump White House. When I really think and, and saw kind of all the accomplishments that happened between 2017 and, and the and 2020, um, you know, to me, I kind of looked at it as 
you had this New Yorker who wanted to get things done fast. And you had this bureaucracy in Washington, D.C., Rita, that just did not want to move fast and certainly did not want to move in the direction that President Trump wanted them to move. And because of that, he almost had to break things in order to get things done. And I've said this before, but really one of the most productive months of my time uh, in the Trump administration, if you ask anybody who was in the White House for this month, was actually during the government shutdown because you had the bureaucrats, the careers that were not fighting against the agenda. So even though you were short staffed to the tune of, you know, one fifth of what you had during the most of the four years in the White House, you were far more productive even at a fifth of the staffing because the other 80 percent wasn't continually fighting against you. Uh, That's kind of what it felt a little bit in the Trump administration, where it kind of felt like, you know, you against the world a little bit when you're within the beltway. Um, The nice thing was when you left the beltway, when you ended up going to some of these Trump rallies, when you'd see the support that you had outside of the swamp, uh, it really was rejuvenating. I could tell you tell you that, that there were times where if I spent uh, a six weeks straight in Washington, D.C. without maybe going to a a political rally with President Trump or, or something else, um, I, you feel a little beaten down after a while. You feel rejuvenated almost instantly when you see the support that uh, that y'all felt, that everybody felt uh, from from outside of the Beltway. Yeah, no, it's true because uh, Washington is such a bubble. Um, you know what's interesting? Um, also, you talked about sort of Hunter Biden and the first family and all that stuff in his history. If it turns out, by the way, um, in this particular case, that it is his cocaine, um, then his plea deal is probably off the table, his sweetheart plea deal. I would think so, Rita. But, but uh, you know, considering what they actually gave him with this sweetheart plea deal, it should be. But there's nothing. It doesn't seem like there's a new low that this family or, or the justice system, many in the justice system protecting this family will stoop to. So in terms of logical thinking, yeah, absolutely. But logical thinking would not have gotten us to the place where Hunter uh, would be getting a plea deal like this. Um, so to me, it, it is, uh, I'd like to think that you're absolutely right on this, but I've just seen so much with this family and, and how protected they are, again, not just by the mainstream media, but also by the Department of Justice. That it's just surprising. You know, I, one of my favorite guests that I think you and, and John Katzmatidis have had on recently on Katz and Cosby has been James Comer. And I, and I loved how you guys went through that. And I think you guys could have, you could have done days with James Comer considering the information that he's had there and what he's been able to present to the American people. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a, it's a real public service. I think what some members of Congress are willing to do in terms of just getting the information to the American people and letting them decide on that. Right. You know, look, obviously, I have my political biases. I've known President Trump for 25 years. Right. I am a conservative by nature, um, but I'm a big believer that journalists should get information out to Americans and they should make a decision. And if you agree with me, great. And if you don't, at least we can have a debate where we can be, we could critical think with all the, with all the facts. Um, sadly, that just does not seem to be happening uh, in our mainstream media these days. 
Yeah, you know what? You are correct because it continues. Um, and you're right. It's like, like I feel like I'm watching, and you know, I've been in the media a long time. It's like alternate universe. Um, you know, some of them are like covering one side, some cover the other side. And, you know, I agree with you. I think the American public is smart enough. Just put it out there. Present the facts. Are you confident, Andrew, that you think like that James Comer, and we know it's two other committees, too, as well. It's like three mm-hmm. different congressional committees are working on it. Of course, Comer um, is is looking at a whole bunch of layers. Jim Jordan, Jason mm-hmm. Smith also. Um, do you think um, that they're getting closer? Comer just recently came out, by the way, and said that he expects to have some disturbing findings that he has uncovered um, with the, you know, with the influence peddling investigation, with the allegations. And he thinks he's going to release some more next week. It sounds like maybe some more banks, um, some more big money. Do you think, A, we're going to get to the bottom of it? And do you think that the American public, all media, once, if there's documents, I maybe I'm too optimistic, Mm -hmm. Andrew, but I think if once all the documents are there and it's in black and white that here's the bank record, here's the money, and here's what happened, and here's the policy that was changed, if if that comes there, um, that I think the American public would realize, wow, this is this is pretty irrefutable. Yeah, I think they are circling around it. And I think you're going to have more Americans that have the opportunity to see this and to view this and you'll have more people that will be able to make make up their own minds with all the information. I mean, you think just about how, uh, you know, the, the Hunter laptop story, you know, before uh, three weeks before the election uh, was censored on Twitter. And, and you know, I, I think something like six or seven percent of Americans polled said that they would have changed their vote. Uh, and it might even be more than that. It might actually be 12 or 13 percent, but certainly a big enough chunk to have swung that of election uh, said that they would have voted differently in the 2020 election had they known the information, which was suppressed. Um, so to me, yes. But then also you see the FBI and Ray not actually being as transparent to the people's. I mean, really, the people's house, when you think about what the House of Representatives is and how important that of a body that is to our populace here in the United States of America, they really are, at least from a congressional standpoint, the closest thing to the people as possible, our closest representatives. Obviously, you have 435 of them. They're elected every two years because the founders wanted to make sure that they were as accountable to the American people as possible. And the fact that unelected bureaucrats and political appointees as well, but unelected officials which is what the FBI is. They're appointed by the president. It's not being accountable to the people of the United States of America, which is what these members of the House of Representatives are. They are our representatives elected by us, not appointed by the president, but elected by the people. Um, It shows you just exactly how they think. Uh, And I want to just get back. I know this is changing the subject here, but it was going back to the last thing there. In terms of the media, and I think a great example of it, I want to give you a compliment. I know I've said it on my show, but I don't think I've had the opportunity to tell you this on air. I've I've told you this privately. I thought that your interview with Andrew Cuomo for anybody in journalist school, now I'm sure that the Ivy Leagues will not teach that. You want to know why? Because I thought it was one of the fairest, best interviews that I had heard. I had always talked about this on the campaign trail. I don't mind tough interviews as long as you're fair. And if you're fair with me, fair with my opponent, you could be as tough as possible. It's a tough job. You should ask tough questions. I thought you were tough, but fair. You gave the former governor the opportunity to speak. 
And I really thought as somebody who is trying to learn the skill of interviewing, um, I can tell you it was a spectacular, spectacular job. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you. And my feeling is, you know, be fair to everybody. Like you said, be tough, but fair and let them answer and then let people decide. And I think it serves um, not obviously the public. It serves them. It serves everybody. But most importantly, people finally get some answers as opposed to. um, And that's and that's what I feel like also with this case too. Put it all out there. Um, let's have the American public know the truth, Andrew. You know, at the end of the day, we need to feel good about our elected officials, like you said. And we have an election coming up. They need to know, um, is the president compromised or is he not compromised? One way or the other, we need to know. Absolutely. And when you have, you know, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, potentially the attorney general um, who's actually interfering and potentially obstructing justice, uh, in this case, there's obviously when you look at at the, uh, the at the Weiss case in Delaware, there are six different whistleblowers who are out there, six different people, including the whistleblowers that have come out saying that Garland actually stepped in on this and told the U.S. attorney the uh, Weiss in Delaware that he could not actually go to another jurisdiction uh, to prosecute. Um, you know, I, I remember time and time again how much they would talk about obstructing justice. And they would talk about it with Sessions and they would talk about it with Barr uh, about things that, you know, weren't even real. Um, And now that you might have actual whistleblowers that are coming out there and you have five, four or five other people that are corroborating uh, their, what they're telling to the American people, um, it it just creates this doubt of, uh, of the transparency that we need in this country that we need with our law enforcement organizations. Um, and in this day, more than ever, um, transparency really, really is is needed in our country. Yeah, it is so uh, deeply needed and people need your respect. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of great men and women in law enforcement, but yeah. clearly uh, there's uh, some stink at the top. Um, yeah. And there clearly needs to be uh, just a change at many levels at the top. And especially when you see all the stuff that's been revealed of late, it is stunning. Um, what an incredible time we live in right now. Um, by the way, everybody, be sure to subscribe and share to this great podcast. Andrew Giuliani, so fantastic to have you and your terrific insights. And I also want to thank you for all you do to keep our country safe and our White House safe and just your great public service through the years, my friend. Uh, Well, Rita, thank you so much and absolutely wonderful job that you and John do at five o'clock every weekday. And and then again at 10 o'clock at night where you've uh, you've always been, I think, one of the backbones, uh, not just of WABC, but of journalism uh, in our country. So thank you for everything you do. Thank you. I'm humbled to hear that. Andrew, thank you. Really great to have you here and great to have you as part of the family. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America. America.